Today's episode is all about James Bond 007, all that you can possibly imagine. Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths, and we have a very special show today. It is uh, something I hold near and dear to my heart that I've loved since my childhood. Um, a little James Bonding, and I'm sorry, that's the name of a podcast that I like that exclusively talks about James Bond. This is This is going to be exclusively about the movies. I have only... I think I've listened to Casino Royale, which is the first James Bond novel by Ian Fleming. Like, I listened to the whole thing, but I can't remember anything about it, and I'm not prepared at all to talk about any of the uh, the novels. Sorry. Wish I could help. I, I find it funny today that every time I record an episode, I'll go through, and obviously you have this editing process for for a podcast. So basically, I'll record what works out to be about an hour-long episode, and then I'll go through and I'll listen to it again, and it takes me like an hour and a half to two hours to trim the fat, so to speak. There's already been multiple things I've said in this episode that I have no desire to make it to the final final version of this podcast. So um, I end up, you know, I listen to it, and I, you know, I go through and do my cuts and edits and splits and whatever. And then I will put in the music and I will put in, you know, the, the background noise, which, you know, it's, it depends on the week, but usually I'll, I'll, I'll do something that has like, you know, something birds chirping or, you know, whatever, just ambient noise to make it less jarringly quiet when I'm talking because it, I mean, it's really bad when I'm, when it's just nothing, you know? I find it funny because it's like you are your target audience. I I record it, I listen to it when I edit it, and then I put the the backing things, you know, the, the music and the backing noises into the podcast, and then I upload that, you know, I, I render that into one audio file, and then I'll upload that to my RSS feed, which ultimately feeds the different podcast uh, services that you probably listen to it on. And it's hilarious because I end up listening to my own podcast probably far more than anyone else is ever going to. And I do it, I mean, my only regret is that I can't, there isn't enough time in the day to keep recording one podcast after another. It's like, because I would just... I would just continuously listen to my own podcast. Not that I, not I'm, I'm not saying that it's like that great. I'm just saying I am talking about the things I want to talk about, and I'm you know discussing the things that I want to discuss. So it's it's fun for me, and I enjoy it. There's so much to talk about with this this film series, and I so I don't want to delay because I I think if I run if I run short on time. It'll be completely expected, but if I have a bunch of time left over, I can still think of a million other things to talk about with James Bond, so let's just dig right into it. First and foremost, you have all of the James Bond movies. I did this neato thing where I thought it would be a good idea. I put this in my notes. Uh, All the movies, recite them from memory, I believe in you, okay? So I can't tell you exactly what year... For sure with all of them, I could probably ballpark it and get pretty close. So, but but I will go through and list off all of the, you know, all of the Bond movies and their respective Bond actor, okay? So, you got Sean Connery in Dr. No, From Russia With Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice. Then you have George Lazenby in... On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And then Sean Connery comes back for one Diamonds Are Forever. And then it's Roger Moore's time. Live and Let Die. 
The Man with the Golden Gun, The Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, yes, that's the actual name of the movie, and A View to a Kill. And then it switches to Timothy Dalton, who is in The Living Daylights and License to Kill. And then it changes over to Pierce Brosnan, who is in Golden Eye, Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough, Die Another Day, and then it's we get a reboot and it starts with Daniel Craig, who is in Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, and then No Time to Die. I believe it's 25 movies. I think that's right. I don't hate any one of these movies singularly. There's not a single one of them that I, that I like refuse to watch, but there are certain ones that I... I like better than the others, and there are certain ones that I hate quite a bit, but still am willing to watch. I think it's neck and neck for me on Sean Connery, you know, from Russia with Love. It's such a basic spy story, and it's it's so well done. Um, We really start to get a lot of the aspects of the Bond, you know, the the all of the the Bond quips and the Bond. uh, standbys, gadgets from Q, things like that. Uh, You've got more action sequences. And it's just overall, it's a lot cooler. Casino Royale with uh, Daniel Craig is, it might be the best Bond movie, but it's, it's not my favorite Bond movie, if you can wrap your head around that. I love the movie but I don't know if I, if I would call it my favorite because the, these other movies I've held so near and dear for so long, it's it's tough for me. It's that old, you know, it's very difficult. I, I don't know why that is. Uh, GoldenEye, uh, the first one with Pierce Brosnan is, I mean, obviously you have the video game on N64 that was really popular. Um, the movie was really good in my opinion. It was there had been a big hiatus in the James Bond world while they were trying to get the rights back to certain elements. And, you know, Pierce Brosnan came in and everybody had such high hopes for him. Uh, and I think I think they really delivered on it. Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, Roger Moore is... He's probably one of uh, my second least favorite Bond, I would say. He's just not... He's not that, I mean, but I love The Spy Who Loved Me. It's a very basic Bond story, but it's, you know, it's got a lot of cool elements in it, and it's very grandiose, and there's just a lot of shit going on that you have to think about. I I love it. I mean, it's got, oh, man, I'll get into some more of the elements, but I'm just kind of trying to do high-level stuff. On Her Majesty's Secret Service is a criminally underrated Bond movie. The, the only one with George Lazenby, and I'll get into George Lazenby in a minute, but it's it's a great story. It's it's a very serious story. It, there's there's not a lot of uh, jokiness in, in you know that we normally see in a script uh, in, in a Bond script. Um, I I also like Goldfinger. It, it's the one that's neck and neck for me for Sean Connery. I I really love Goldfinger. I I probably would say I like it better than From Russia with Love, but um, you know it's still From Russia with Love is not to be forgotten. And Skyfall is one that I don't even know if I love it so much. It's Daniel Craig, but it is it's like a return to familiarity in the Bond franchise because you know they rebooted in Casino Royale and it's like they didn't there was a lot about Bond that wasn't present you know that that you're used to seeing in in these Bond movies and it, it was it was a welcome change for the franchise to to return to its roots but some of them, I mean I'll, I'll break the the news right now my least favorite Bond is Timothy Dalton. I I don't care for either of his Bond movies, really. I mean, The Living Daylights is definitely superior to License to Kill um, because it's more like a Bond movie, but Timothy Dalton is, for my money, way too fucking quiet. I mean, he's just, 
he is not an outspoken enough guy to be Bond, you know? I would say every other actor who has played Bond has been better at being outspoken. Octopussy is just a very, it's a very flimsy basis for a Bond movie. Um, Roger Moore is really starting to show his age in that one. And it's just, it's not so bad it's good. It's just, it's just not good, in my opinion. And A View to a Kill is a so bad it's good movie. You got a, a solid shitty villain in Christopher Walken. Grace Jones is the henchwoman of choice. And Roger Moore was 57 going on 80. Then Die Another Day with Pierce Brosnan is, it was, it was a case of like, Bond trying to outdo Bond, you know? No one else was making movies on the level that Bond was at a certain point, you know? And it was just, it was wild watching, you know, all of the stuff unfold in this Die Another Day. There's, oh, there's, it's so fucking stupid. It, I mean, Pierce Brosnan, I mean, it's complete with the, the worst theme song from Madonna. Oh, God, I fucking hated it. Another one that I don't know if it's really... I think it's just Spectre with Daniel Craig was... It was like they basically tried to make it seem as though all of the Daniel Craig movies that led up to it had been masterminded by one person. And it was... Like it all was supposedly connected and it really... It didn't fucking work for me. I, I didn't care for it. I'll go through each of the Bonds, be a little more specific with what I'm talking about. So Sean Connery, he was absolutely, to my, as far as I can tell, he was perfect for the role. I mean, he was great. He did have like a hairpiece in every, I think every Bond movie except for maybe Dr. No, which is the first one. Um, but I could, I'm not good at spotting a toupee or whatever, so... I mean, it didn't really ever bother me because I couldn't really tell. And most people, I don't think, could tell either. But then, you know, like Connery got to a point where he really didn't want anything to do with Bond anymore. So that that became a problem. And they were, you know, he was still getting paid peanuts to, you know, star in these movies. And it was like he was on his fifth one and he just wanted out, you know. So they brought in... You know, with Sean Connery wanting to leave, they brought in this guy who was an Australian model named George Lazenby. And, you know, he looked the part. I mean, his his accent wasn't bad for, you know, for being British. You know, he was, or I should say, for being Australian, his British accent wasn't bad. He was not, I mean, the biggest problem I had with him was he was clearly not a very strong actor. I mean, he was he was in some commercial or something, and they the producers or something spotted him and said he'd be perfect for it. And the sad thing is, is so he was in one movie, and they were I think willing to continue on with him and let him improve. And he got it in his head. Somebody had convinced him that that Bond was on its way out, and that the counterculture movement with hippies and everything. And this is like 1969, so. If you know anything about American history through that time period, the 60s is about when counterculture died, but somebody convinced him, or 69 was about when counterculture died, but somebody convinced him that it was like only going to get stronger or something. So it's like, okay, if you, if you want to say that, that's fine, but I don't really believe that. I mean, I think he had the potential to grow. I think he could have really been a solid Bond. And I think, you know, just his first movie, yeah, you know, he's not going to be as great. He's, you know, uh, he's not an actor by trade, whatever. And then, you know, obviously Sean Connery came back and I think he donated all of his salary for the, for Diamonds Are Forever to charity or something. When I mean Connery just did the one when he came back and he didn't want to do any more, so he said never again. And then Roger Moore came in. He had been approached previously to be in the Bond movies, or to be Bond, I should say. But he was still tied up with like uh, I think he was in the Saint, the TV show. He was he was basically unable to come any sooner than he he was he ended up coming. 
the biggest problem I have with him is from day one, he had these, like, smug old man vibes. Roger Moore did. It was like, I didn't really like him. And, you know, like I mentioned in the final movie, he was 57. So the big story with him, in A View to a Kill, he, you know, the Bond girl in that movie was Tanya Roberts. And it came up in conversation on the set that he was older than her mother. And so it was like, that was kind of it for him. He was like, I'm good. I'm done. You know, I I don't need to do any more of these. I feel like a fucking old man. And so that was what he did. You know, he just, he stepped away. And I mean, his, he had some really good Bond movies and he had some really bad Bond movies. But he just, I can't really, other than the old, the smug old man vibe, I can't really describe, I I just don't like him. I don't know why. I'm not, I'm not a big fan. And so after A View to a Kill, there were a lot of people, you know, that were in the the running for it. And I'll I'll get into that in a moment. Um, Timothy Dalton ended up taking the role over and starred in The Living Daylights first. Um, as I mentioned, too quiet. He's, he's way too quiet of a guy to be Bond. Sorry. The movies themselves were not particularly great. The Bond girls weren't very good. The theme songs weren't very good. You know, I mean, just the, the, especially the second one that Timothy Dalton was in, it was like they clearly wanted to create more of a American action movie instead of a James Bond movie and it did not work out well for him. Apparently he was in the running for the role of James Bond as early as 1969, which is wild because he would have been super fucking young when he when that happened. Um, and that would have been on Her Majesty's Secret Service time. So Pierce Brosnan, after about a six-year hiatus with, with the whole movie rights thing, um, so Pierce Brosnan took over and he, he was in GoldenEye. And so there's a, there's a story about, you know, Timothy Dalton ended up taking over after Roger Moore, but apparently it was as close to being Pierce Brosnan for the role when Timothy Dalton was going to take over as it could get, like to the point that they were, they were, uh, Pierce Brosnan was supposedly on his way out the door to go to a press conference where they were going to announce that he was James Bond, and, or he was going to be James Bond, and on his way out the door, his phone rang, and they they called him from the TV show he starred in called Remington Steel. And they told him that they had picked, they had been picked up for another season. And so he, he was stuck in his contract with Remington Steel and he couldn't do it. And basically like what happened was the hype of him becoming Bond was enough exposure for the show apparently to get enough popularity to, you know, move on. And, I mean, that's that's just fucking heartbreaking, honestly. So Daniel Craig, my first note is Blonde, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, Blonde, without an E at the end, is the male masculine version, and Blonde with an E at the end is the feminine version. So, you know, today you might have learned you know, he, he was a little gruff. He was a little, I mean, he, he was good. I really liked him, but he he didn't have that, like, lighter, you know, grinning at the camera every once in a while side to him that everybody else seemed to, or other than Timothy Dalton. He, he was just so fucking gruff, and I just don't know. I mean, I liked him, but I don't, I mean, I don't know who I would have picked in his stead, but whatever. So every Bond movie has, you know, it has these recurring characters, these these supporting roles that, you know, they're in every movie. 
Um, you've got the secretary at MI6, Miss Moneypenny. I mean, the the one who did the most movies was Lois Maxwell, and she she was the epitome of a great money penny. She was not hideously unattractive, but she was not overly attractive. So it was like it was the perfect blend. And the whole idea with uh with Miss Moneypenny is that James and her are constantly flirting with each other. And it seems like they are just moments from banging it out a couple of times in this series, but they they never you know, they never close that deal or whatever. So, I mean, it's just Lois Maxwell was amazing. She had just the right demeanor. It was I mean, she was great. The only the only other one I really particularly enjoyed was Caroline Bliss, who I mean, the, the other two were decent, but they were, you know, what can you do? I mean, they were they were just not they didn't stand out. Caroline Bliss, I just find find you know, she was very nice looking, so it was it was nice. But I mean, she didn't necessarily make a great money penny. M is like the, I guess the head of MI6. He's like Bond's boss, so to speak. And Bernard Lee was the first M, and he was in from Doctor No all the way through like I think it was. Moonraker maybe or I can't remember but anyway he was he was there for quite a few movies and he was easily the best in my opinion he was he he stood out unlike any other there's a guy named Q who is the gadget man for James Bond and he you know there's usually a sequence in each movie depending on the movie where you know he goes through and he explains to 007 what each of the, you know, the gadgets are, how they work, you know, demonstrates them, all this shit. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's got so many great lines. Like he, he is, you will never encounter somebody in the, the Bond film series that is more over James Bond's shit than Q. I mean, he is, he is fed up with, with James Bond's horse shit. It's fucking great. Felix Leiter comes and goes. Uh, depends on the movie. He's not in... Uh, until... you know, So he's in a lot of the... 60s and 70s Bonds, Bond movies. But they're... Uh, he's nowhere... Oh, I forgot. He is in the one of the Timothy Dalton ones. But he... He doesn't... Until they do the reboot with Daniel Craig. He's not really... In very many uh, in the 80s and 90s. Obviously, you know, each it's pretty well known that there are what they call Bond girls in these movies. And most of the time, these actresses are one and dones. Like, they, they don't end up being in any other movies, really. And they just kind of play the role. And, you know, they're, they're there to be nice looking and... and Frequently, they're not very good actresses, but that's neither here nor there. The So the best of the Bond girls would be, for me, anyway, for my money, Ursula Andress, who is the original James Bond girl in Dr. No. She comes walking out of the ocean in this white bikini with a little dagger at her hip. And, I mean, she is... She's a fucking, you know, she's a model, you know what I mean? She's she's really great looking. Uh, unfortunately, her voice was dubbed over because apparently her accent was too thick or something. You know, I, I can't really blame them, you know what I mean? If, if her accent was too thick, it was too thick, you know, but... So in the following movie, Daniela Bianchi, who is still to this day, as Sean Connery says, the most beautiful girl I've ever seen... Uh, she she is gorgeous. She is unbelievably attractive, and she you know she's just kind of along for the ride in that movie. But she's supposed to be like a uh, an an agent for the bad guys, but she doesn't really know what their motives are. And 
Anyway, so the next one I love is Diana Rigg, who plays Tracy in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And I won't spoil that movie, but, uh, you know, shit, shit gets real with her. And, like, she's... She's a very, I mean, Diana Rigg is an amazing actress and she really delivers on likability factor. You know, she's, she's not even like, she's, she's very good looking, obviously, but she's not, that's not all that's selling her. You know what I mean? She's, she's got a lot going for her. So, I mean, that's, it's awesome. One of my, apparently this is not a popular choice, but I love Britt Eklund, who plays, I think it's Mary Goodnight in uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. Basically, she spends the third act of the movie walking around in a bikini that she looks fantastic in. I mean, she's kind of useless in the movie, but last but not least on that, well, I shouldn't say last, uh, Barbara Bach, who is actually Mrs. Ringo Starr, uh, she is in uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, and she plays a Russian double agent or something. I don't know. Her, her co- she's, a, she's a secret agent, and her codename is Triple X, and her and Bond are constantly competing with each other. So, a couple of years ago, I had a cataract, and they couldn't operate on it because of the issues with my eyes that I have. And so... You know, what would have been like a few days off work ended up being like seven, eight months off work. I watched all the Bond movies because like what I ended up doing during that time, because I couldn't see, I had like 2,500 vision and that's way more than legally blind, right? So I couldn't see anything. And what I would do is I would watch on my iPad and if it was up close, it was a little better. And... It was like I was watching all these these movies that I had already seen several times because I didn't need to wonder what was going on in the movie, you know? So I watched the Bond movies because I've been watching these movies pretty much my whole life and I had never noticed how dreadful of an actress Barbara Bach was. In that movie. It's it's like a robot's approximation of human behavior. You know what I mean? Like it's it's that bad. And it's just ridiculous. You know what I mean? She just... She doesn't... Um, I don't know. She doesn't deliver any of her lines very well. And it's, it's kind of a letdown. So some of the worst Bond girls are... So there's... And for your eyes only, there is Lynn Holly Johnson who plays this this young girl named BB, who is frankly gotta be like a third of Roger Moore's age, and she is all about getting that that James Bond dick. But Roger Moore is even above it; like he's like, no thanks, I'm good. And then there's uh, Carrie Lowell in License to Kill. She's just She's not, she's just kind of pissy the whole fucking movie. And it's just, it's like, fuck off. I don't care. A View to a Kill has Tanya Roberts. And Tanya Roberts is the one I mentioned that her mother was younger than Roger Moore at the time of filming. Uh, Tanya Roberts played Midge on that 70s show. So fun little fact there. And then the last worst Bond girl and these are not really in any order, is Denise Richards from The World Is Not Enough. And her name is Christmas. And they make a bunch of these stupid fucking Christmas jokes about her. Like, they're having sex and James Bond literally says, I thought Christmas only comes once a year. Yeah. So the other fun thing with these Bond girls is... They frequently have ridiculous names, and some are more ridiculous than others. Like, Ursula Andress's character is named Honey Rider, which is not that bad, you know? It could be a lot worse. But the the king of all ridiculous Bond girl names would be Pussy Galore. 
Yes, you heard that right. Pussy Galore from Goldfinger. I, I don't know, like, I don't know what kind of guy Ian Fleming, the author of the original novels, is, but, or was, I should say. I have a pretty good idea that he was kind of a scumbag, but whatever. So there's also a girl named Plenty O'Toole in Diamonds Are Forever. Um, Holly Goodhead. Goodhead in Moonraker. Octopussy is the name of a character in the movie Octopussy. Bambi and Thumper are two henchwomen in Diamonds Are Forever. Zenya Onatop, who is played by Famke Janssen, and she, I mean, she's gorgeous. I love her, and she actually has a career outside of these movies. And they seem to have only named her Zenya Onatop so that Miss Moneypenny could make a pun on her name. Like, I trust you'll remain on a top of things. Okay. Mary Goodnight. That's a stupid name. Um, And then there's Agent Strawberry Fields, which I think is from Quantum of Solace. I I haven't seen the Craig... Yeah, the Craig ones as as many times. So I can't really remember as well. Obviously, like I mentioned, with the gadgets and there's vehicles and things like that. The only correct answer to the question, what is your favorite James Bond car, is... The Aston Martin DB5. I'm sorry, that's it. That's the only answer you can give to that question. Um, So there's a terrible BMW that I loved as a child in Tomorrow Never Dies. So at one point they like switched from Aston Martin to... I think they had like an endorsement deal or some fucking thing with BMW. And it's like... BMWs are like that car that like... People people think they're pretty fucking impressive for having one, but they're they're really not that great at cars in my opinion. Like they're they're higher end cars, but they're not that great. So as far as gadgets, there are quite a few throughout the series. You know, there's the cell phone from Tomorrow Never Dies, which doubles as a a remote control for the BMW, which is pretty fucking nifty. Like, I'll be honest with you, the whole thing with that car is pretty fucking sweet in that movie, even though it's a BMW. Um, The watch laser from GoldenEye is like a standby of all things spy. There's a magnetic watch in Live and Let Die, uh, which is... everything, Everything in the Bond world, so... Everything in the Bond world for gadgets frequently feels reverse engineered. And just to give you an example, like in the beginning of The World is Not Enough, they are talking about, they're they're demonstrating this jacket that they're giving to Bond. And he pulls a a ripcord on the jacket and it inflates this giant spherical, like, flotation device thing like you don't really know what it is and then like they show a scene later in the movie where they get trapped in an avalanche and he inflates that and you know uses it to protect himself and the woman he's with and it's like okay anyway so wrist starts in uh there's a wrist start shooter in moonraker the briefcase from from russia with love is fantastic it's like the original james bond gadget you know and it's it's like a a briefcase that if you don't open it a certain way it'll like fire this tear gas cartridge and it's got uh all this hit you know this like hidden dagger in it and it's got uh a bunch of gold sovereigns and different shit like that like it's just it's a pretty fucking nifty thing for, you know, especially like it had probably never been seen anything, you know, nothing close had ever been seen like that up to that point in movies. In You Only Live Twice, there is a little personal helicopter called Little Nelly, and Q comes and assembles it for Bond, and it's pretty nifty. I mean, it's only used for one scene, obviously, but, you know, what can you do? So one of the dumber ones is... Q has a broom with a built-in walkie-talkie 
And he says like one line into it and then throws the broom into the bushes and walks away. And it's like, you needed a fucking gadget for that. You needed you needed to, to make that broom into a fucking walkie-talkie. Are you serious? And of course, there are the x-ray glasses from The World Is Not Enough where you can see through like one layer of clothing. And of course, they have to do the scene where Bond is at a, you know, a little party thing and he sees a woman that's just wearing a dress that clearly doesn't have bra on underneath and he just kind of gives her a look like, yeah, and it's like, okay, that's more creepy than anything, but all right, whatever. There are, you know, I mean, like any movies, especially from this era, uh, the ones from the 60s with Connery, there are a lot, like, especially with Asian people, there's a lot of, there are a lot of people that, like, they clearly didn't want to have Asians in, in the movies, and so they they made they made people up that weren't Asian to look like Asians. And it it feels about as racist as, as it sounds. There's also a movie, because in like Dr. No, there's a woman that's made up to be Asian and she's not really Asian. And then in You Only Live Twice, James Bond goes undercover as an Asian man and all they do is like, cut his hair a little different and I don't even I don't even know that they did anything else to him but it was like oh they they put little you know makeup things on him like uh plastic surgery type things to make his eyes look more Asian I guess and I'm I'm like oh yeah this is not racist at all obviously there's a lot of misogyny especially in the earlier movies um Roger Moore had said he regretted, you know, some of the, the misogynistic things that Bond did in his movies. And frequently, they're, the parts for women are obviously, as I've mentioned, underwritten. And, you know, especially the minority parts, very underwritten. That being said, you know, there are all these... Um, there are these actors that had been previously considered at some point in time to be Bond, Right. So Sean Bean was heavily considered to be Bond before um, they cast him as the villain in Goldeneye. Rafe Fiennes was also considered around that time. And then he ended up becoming uh, a character in the, the Craig Bonds. And then, you know, Michael Caine in the 60s was considered and he didn't want to be in spy movies or he didn't want to get typecast as a spy Terrence Stamp was also considered around the same time as Michael Caine. Um, he is most notable for playing General Zod in the Superman movies. James Rowland was considered in the 80s when Roger Moore was considering leaving. Sam Neill, most notably from Jurassic Park, uh, was considered around, around the time that Timothy Dalton ultimately took over. Same with Mel Gibson. And then, like, around the time that Daniel Craig took over, Henry Cavill, Clive Owen, and Dukery Scott were all considered to play the role. It doesn't really say what level of consideration they merited, you know, if they were really approached about it or if they were just on the list or something. Obviously, all of these Bond movies are set in... They try and change up the locations, make them a little cooler, a little, you know... Uh, a little better, and they try and make them picturesque, but it's, God, I hope I said that word right, it didn't sound like it, but, you know, it's just, there's some in Jamaica, there's some in Russia, there's some in Africa, there's some in, you know, I mean, they're, they go all over the place in these Bond movies, and they're always trying to outdo themselves, so it's tough, but one thing I have kind of glossed over is the music, Every Bond movie, you get a cold open, typically. Not every every Bond movie, but typically you get a, a cold open. Then that is followed by a what is basically a music video with a theme song for the movie. And it's they have a certain way about them. If you've never seen them, just Google James, James Bond theme songs or whatever, you know, just... Just to get a feel, because they all kind of feel similar. 
but there are differences. Some of the best title songs, Live and Let Die, uh, Paul McCartney and Wings, 100%. Uh, Nobody Does It Better by Carly Simon, and that was the theme for The Spy Who Loved Me. A View to a Kill by Duran Duran, which was, uh, I think it was the first, I don't know if it was the first ever number one hit, but it was... It was a number one hit, anyway. Um, the the theme song to On Her Majesty's Secret Service is just a uh, instrumental, and it is a really fucking cool song. Like, I really like it. Cheryl Crow's Tomorrow Never Dies theme song, I really enjoy, but it's, it's kind of a polarized uh, opinion, apparently, of, you know, what people think of that song. Uh, the worst... The worst ones to me, and they're often overpraised, is um, the Shirley Bassey song. So, like, she did three different, uh, Goldfinger was notable, but she did three different songs, and I don't know why they wanted to have her to begin with, let alone keep bringing her back, you know. Um, The other thing, you know, before the cold open... What they started doing in these Bond movies, which is really, it's so bizarre to me. And I'll, I'll kind of, you know, get into it a little bit. But so there is what they call a gun barrel sequence in the very beginning of the movie. So you see this like dot trail across the screen. And then all of a sudden you see a man walking from, I think it's from right to left across the screen And he stops and he's got like, it's like, basically what it is, is you're staring down the sights of a a gun, but you, you can't tell that that's what it is. Like you have no reason to believe that that's what it is. And what he does is he stops midway across the screen and shoots, you know, shoots a shot directly at the gun that's pointing at him. And... The the blood, like, you see blood trail down the screen, and the the gun barrel shift back and forth that's looking at Bond, and then, you know, it, it closes into the beginning of the cold open, but it's, like, it's so fucking... I don't know what made them think of that. Like, they just started doing it, you know... I don't remember if it was in Doctor No that it started, or if it was from Russia with Love, but... Man, it was fucking wild. Like, just, and it got better over the years. You know, they started to actually make it look a little more official. There, and actually, on that note, there was a stand in for a lot of the Sean Connery ones. I don't know if he ever did his own, but it was like he was wearing like a fedora and walking across the screen, and it just looked really clunky when he walked across the screen. Some of the best cold opens. Now that we're on to that portion. From Russia with Love. Very good cold open. It's, you know, like this training exercise, basically. And you don't really know what the fuck's going on. And then uh, Goldfinger has another really cool one. It's, you know, he sneaks in and, you know, there's an explosion that goes off and all this stuff. And... There's a big fight scene. I mean, it's pretty awesome. GoldenEye is extremely long, but it is a very good opening sequence. Um, The worst are, in my opinion, Octopussy. Like, Roger Moore flies around in this little one-man airplane thing. And at the end of it, he stops. Like, he runs out of, of, of juice at a gas station, and he turns to the guy... And he's in this fucking airplane at this gas station. And he says, fill her up. And that's it. Like, it's fucking stupid. There's another thing that I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this one in a minute. But the For Your Eyes only one is a pretty stupid opening sequence. Um, the License to Kill one, it's, it's, it's a bit much. It's like Felix Leiter's wedding and shit. As far as villains, uh, some of the best villains... Uh, I mean, obviously, Ernst Stavro Blofeld is, like, the guy. He's the main villain. Um, Pleasance, Donald Pleasance, 
portrayed him best, I think. He just... Uh, he, he is... like If you look at him in You Only Live Twice, because he only played him once, uh, he... He is the exact model for the character of Dr. Evil from the Austin Powers movies. By the way, love Austin Powers movies. All of them, well, especially the first one. I mean, they're fucking amazing and they do a great job poking fun at James Bond. So Goldfinger is a strong one. You know, he has the great line of, you know, James Bond says, do you expect me to talk? And Goldfinger says, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. And it's like, that's pretty fucking solid. Hugo Drax is the guy from Moonraker, and this is probably an unpopular opinion, but he he has a line that I just love so much that I can't I can't be mad at him as an actor. He says, "Look after Mr. Bond. See that some harm comes to him." Fucking great. Alec Trevelyan is Sean Bean's character in Goldeneye. Uh, he's, he's really solid and it's a very personal thing for him against James Bond. Lashif is a very strong villain in, uh, Casino Royale. He's played by Mads Mikkelsen and Mads Mikkelsen is tremendously talented. And, um, Javier Bardem's character in Skyfall, I think is really good. Like, I think Javier Bardem is a terrific actor, uh, especially No Country for Old Men. That's fucking best um as far as worse i would say ernst stavro blofeld actually comes in worst for a couple of movies i'll get into that that cold open i was talking about from free your eyes only max zorin is christopher walken's character he is just it's it's such a bad movie guys i can't stress it enough sanchez in license to kill sucks terribly Okay, so I, I will talk now about this cold open. So there's a cold open in the beginning of For Eyes Only. And so there's there's this fan theory that gets talked about by a lot of people that I assume just don't know James Bond that well. Basically, the thought is that James Bond is just a name and it gets assigned to the different people and that explains the different actors that have played him. The problem is, is there's, there's continuity between James Bond movies that negate that entire concept. I mean, A, you go from Sean Connery to George Lazenby back to Sean Connery. I mean, you can't tell me that they just re, you know, reassigned that name, you know. There's a whole thing where there's a... A tragic moment at the end of On Her Majesty's Secret Service where someone dies, okay? I won't say more than that, but... And that was the George Lazenby one. And then fast forward to For Your Eyes Only, and we see Roger Moore standing at that person's grave. Now tell me why, if George Lazenby was actually a completely other guy, would Roger Moore give two shits about somebody that died that was close to this other guy that had nothing to do with him. You know what I mean? And then that that same death comes up again in later movies. And it so it just, it blows that all to hell. And I, I'm sure there are other things that I'm not thinking of, but like that's a big enough thing for me that I'm like, yeah, fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. I, I do want to mention, you know, some standouts like, Hench people, you've got Ajab from Goldfinger, you got Jaws from The Spy Who Loved Me. Um, but if if I were to take, you know, if I were to, to tell you, okay, let's say you'd never seen any James Bond movies ever in your life, I would say if you don't mind older movies, watch From Russia With Love. Great Sean Connery movie, minimal racism. Solid film, one of my faves. And then the other one I would definitely recommend if you don't want to go back that far is Casino Royale. If you haven't seen that movie, it is, like I said, arguably the best Bond movie there is out there. It's it's that good. It's just, I like these other movies because they're near and dear to my heart, you know, and I can't 
look at them as objectively as I'd like to. So, I mean, I just really love... I, I, I love all these movies in their own way to a certain extent. Some of them I could really take or leave, but this series is about to, to undergo... So they're, they're talking about potential actors to replace um, Daniel Craig because he's done doing them. And some of them include, and obviously like, you know, some people are concerned they want Bond, Bond not to, you know, change race or whatever because they don't think it, it makes sense or whatever. Um, but Idris Elba, who I think would be stupendous as, he would be wonderful as James Bond. Um, Henry Cavill would be solid. I think he needs to bone up on his his acting range because he needs to he needs to be able to nail those smug remarks and shit. Tom Hardy, I love, but I don't know if I see him as a James Bond. I think he's too quiet. Um, I mean, I have such a man crush on Tom Hardy, I can't even begin. Tom Hiddleston, who played Loki most popularly in the Marvel movies. Um, I think he'd be solid. I just, I have trouble viewing him that way because I'm so used to him as Loki. Lashana Lynch, who is in this most recent Bond movie, they've talked about her, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Killian Murphy, who played Scarecrow in the Batman movies, the Dark Knight trilogy. Richard Madden, who played Rob Stark on Game of Thrones. Dev Patel, who was, I think, Slumdog Millionaire and Lion and... Uh, yeah, I mean, for my money, I would say Henry Cavill or Idris, Idris Elba would be, either of those guys would be great. But yeah, that's that's where I leave you. Um, I, I only covered, I want to be clear, I only covered the official James Bond movies. There are a couple of others that are non-official James Bond movies that have happened in the past and aren't very good, and I didn't really want to give time to them, so... Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show today. It was kind of an extra special episode. It was not like my normal episodes. So let me know what you think. Have a good day. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr. 